name is Kevin Murphy, and this is the Mission Innovation Podcast. I mean, regardless of faith background, social economic background, sexual orientation, any of that stuff, it doesn't really matter. Uh, we might have all have different views on all of that, but what happened was everybody set all that aside and just showed me what what community really truly is. Justin Skisick and Patrick Gray are lifelong friends. It's not unusual that friends would share an adventure of hiking, a 500-mile Camino de Santiago trail in France and northern Spain. What is unusual is that Justin completed the trail in a wheelchair. Life has changed for them. A movie and two books later, Patrick and Justin continue to tell the stories that changed them and talk to us about spirit, our individual legacies, and the impact that we have on others on the trail of life or work. My name is Kevin Murphy, and this is the Mission Innovation Podcast. How is it that people might have heard your name before? You know, I'd probably say that, you know, one of the biggest things that I think if people were to have heard about Patrick and I specifically is about a little pilgrimage that we took um, a few years back where Patrick pushed me in a wheelchair uh, 500 miles on the Camino de Santiago. And it's a pilgrimage across northern Spain. It's a pilgrimage that's been around for, oh man, since the ninth century, I think. So. Mm-hmm. It's been there for quite some time, and um, Patrick and I have uh, had a very, very long friendship with one another. And that, that by accomplishing that, it has kind of grown and grown and grown. And there's been a lot of ups and downs and backwards and forwards with all that. We can dive into that later, but that's that's usually how people have, have heard about us. And if I'm correct, Justin, uh, this whole idea started with you one day. What was it like presenting this idea? You must have had a lot of trust in this friend, Patrick. And, and Patrick, when you first heard the idea from Justin, what was that like? You know, it was when I learned about the pilgrimage, it was through a PBS public access television show. There's a guy named Rick Steves, who's a travel guru on PBS. And he's been around for years. And I always love traveling, always love seeing the world. And I learned about this pilgrimage. And I didn't even really know it was even in existence because, you know, they're not really common here in America specifically. So when I learned about it, I just, I just kind of, I just knew it was one of those moments and and maybe a listener might resonate with this is there's, you'll have moments in your life where you just, you just know, uh, you may not know why you may not have the, the, the vision of exactly what you're getting yourself into. You just know that that's the direction you need to take. And, you know, I just, I just, knew as my heart was telling me, my mind, my soul was just that whole moment, you know, was just aligning and just calling out at me. And about, I don't know, a few weeks later, Patrick was visiting me. Uh, I was living in, in Southern California at the time. Patrick was in Idaho and he came down to visit me with his family for the for the week. And I just, I had recorded the episode on my DVR and I said, you know what, I, I want to show you something. And I remember very, very clearly, he just, he sat down in my living room and you know, Patrick and I have known each other for a very, very, very long time. So 44 years we've known each other. So um, we were born just over 36 hours apart. So we've known each other our whole lives. So I knew that he was, I wouldn't have asked him if I knew, you know, he wasn't the right person. 
he could say no if he wants to, and I would not be ill will about that at all. I respect that. But I just knew, I was like, hey, this pilgrimage is, is something that was really calling at me. And I recorded the episode and sat Pat down and I said, hey, man, you want, I need you to check this out. And we watched this out, watched the episode. And after it was done, I just said, hey, man, you want to, you want to go across 500 miles of northern Spain with me? And his response was, I'll push you. That's what he said. So that became the title of the book and the film and all that. So that's where it all originated from. And Pat can kind of fill you in on probably why he said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, it's a, it, I, I get that question in different ways, uh, but people are really curious as to why I said yes. And sometimes people think that that Justin's request is um, is something that's unfair. Like, like he's putting me, you know, through this this struggle of pushing this wheelchair across Spain, and that couldn't be further from the truth. It, it was a moment where one we, we had this mindset that the, with the people that are important in your life, uh, you, you share adventure with them. Just period. Whether whether it's one that is, you know, calling on your heart, or it's something that the other person wants to experience, shared adventure is is so critical in successful relationships, and that's something that we had, you know, in hindsight, done quite well. We just embraced each other's aspirations and dove into them. So when he brought this up, that was kind of the mindset I was operating from. It's like, hey, this is important to him. I'm going to make it important to me. But there was also an element of my word. This man is going to trust me completely. And I didn't have a comp- the, the the full appreciation for what that meant until we took the journey. But I was already playing you know, through the scenarios. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna have to care for Justin. I'm gonna have to shower him. I'm gonna have to help him in the bathroom. I'll do all these things in the day to day, as well as push him. And I'm thinking, gosh, all these elements of his everyday life, he is placing in my hands. And then to actually experience it on the trail, that that level of trust is very rare. And in hindsight, it's so, I mean, I, I get emotional thinking about it because that's a gift. I mean, he gave me an incredible gift in that level of trust. And it's, that's not something that very many people get to experience. It's something I cherish. I'll, I'll cherish the rest of my life that he was willing to put everything in my hands. And so you've, from that experience of journeying on the Camino together, you put out a book called I'll Push You including a website, mm-hmm. including a movie, which has garnered international attention. And I'm sure that's that's not in itself easy for you to grasp at times. What is it that when you meet people and you talk about it with them, they seem to be attracted by or overwhelmed by or caught in wonder by? You know, uh, as Justin said, we took this pilgrimage, you know, and it was it was one that... that <laughs> was very unique because Justin lives life in a wheelchair. And so it was a very challenging 500-mile trek. And as we did this journey and I pushed Justin across Spain, we we really dug into a lot of the elements that make our friendship tick, a lot of the uh, the dynamics at play. And what's happened over time is that we've, we've slowly realized that what we have in our relationship, this lifelong friendship of now 44 years, uh, is we took a lot of things for granted. We didn't realize that what we had is unique. And so when we share a story with people, you know, from, you know, whether it's on the stage or we meet people that, uh, that have read the book or seen the film, they're, they're always wanting to know, you know, how do I, how do I have what you have? And it's very humbling to think that we might have something that somebody else doesn't have, but we've really kind of uh, grown to have a greater appreciation for this friendship. 
and have done our best to cultivate the same kind of relationships with with the people we meet along the way. And I think that's what people really grab onto is is within a raw, intimate, very dedicated and intention-filled relationship, there is so much hope. And people are hungry for hope. And I, I believe that one of the the foundations or foundational places that we can experience hope as, as we desire it is within community as God meant it to be. And, you know, I think I'd probably add that, you know, to kind of go back to your question is that it's, it's, it is hard to grasp the depth and the reach of this crazy journey that Patrick and I went on because that wasn't really the intent. I mean, we didn't, it was just two knuckleheads going on this thing and then it grew, you know, then it grew into well, let's bring a documentary crew with us. And there's a whole kind of story with that, but then end up taking the crew with us and the movie and then the book. The, we didn't even intend to write a book either. It was, it was actually, that was probably the last thing on our, on our docket to do because we kind of felt that, you know, a lot of people that go in the Camino write books about the Camino and that's there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, we felt, oh, maybe we'll just be kind of white noise within all of that. But, you know, a series of circumstances happened or events that happened in a very short period of time. And, you know, very influential people that we met and they said, you guys should write a book about this. And so, you know, it's, it is, it's hard to really, really grasp, you know, cause we're Patrick and I are kind of at the epicenter of all of that. So it is truly humbling to, to see how, you know, by sometimes when you have a decision that you make and you just don't know where it's going to go in life and how that ends up taking you somewhere. The book and the movie, I'll Push You, would give our listeners uh, much more detail into the preparation and and that journey that you took. But for both of you, what would be one, two of the key stories that, mm. that offered a learning to each of you, either about your friendship, about life, about this journey together? I'm going to try and keep my composure here. I haven't gotten to this story once yet without losing it, so bear with me. Uh, but the, the long and short of it is that uh, as we left for the Camino, I was, uh, I was in, a, in a, a role in my previous uh, job where it wasn't that my workplace was an unhealthy place. I was in an unhealthy place mentally. I was, I'm, I'm a very much a type A driven person, and I tend to, to have a little bit of control issues. Uh, for, for me, control is safe. And in this job, I had poured myself so heavily into it that I had started to neglect my marriage and my kids. I, I wasn't the dad or the, the husband I wanted to be, but I didn't really see it yet. And there were a lot of hard parts of the Camino. Physically, it was just grueling. You know, uh, there's so many days that my body just was like asking me, like, what in the world are you doing? But the hardest part and the most beautiful part for me, the biggest lesson, like the most poignant story was when we were through a stretch called uh, traveling through a stretch called the Meseta. And the Meseta is about 150 miles of, uh, they refer to it as the desert. It's kind of like Kansas, just wheat fields as far as you can see. And there's something unique that happens when you find yourself in a landscape that doesn't change. I mean, it's, it's just wheat field, you know, um, upon wheat field, upon wheat field. It's the same hill in the distance. Nothing changes day in and day out. So when there's no variation in landscape, nothing distracts your mind and you're forced inward in a way that I had never experienced in my entire life. And what happened is I'm on this trail pushing Justin. No one else is around. It's, it's, it's a day where we find ourselves, you know, alone. And I have earbuds in and I'm listening to music. 
And I came face to face with who I was and it was not pretty. It was just gut-wrenching. Because I saw in like an in, instant, like in a moment's notice, you know, without without a moment's notice, just in, in, in like just boom, I can see the world around me, but behind my eyes are like a million tiny TV screens, and I am witnessing the previous four years failures as a father and as a husband, like over and over and over. It's all at once, and uh, it just it wrecked me because I suddenly saw all the neglect. And all the moments that I had given my wife and kids reason to doubt my love for them. And so after I completely lose it and I'm just bawling my eyes out, I tell Justin what's going on and we, uh, we hightail it to the nearest town because I, I have to talk to my family. I have to talk to my family. And so we get to this town, we find a place with Wi-Fi, and I pull out a little iPad we had brought to try and keep in touch with our families in a, I place a Skype call and my, my wife answers the phone or answers the call and she's in our office and the kids are right there and, uh, and they're so excited to see me because it's been a couple of days since we've, we've uh, communicated and I just start off, I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> clearly my eyes are red and I've been crying and my wife's like, like wondering what's up, but I tell my kids, sorry for all these moments of failure and kids are so resilient and so forgiving. They're like, we forgive you daddy and off they go. And then it's just my wife and I, and she closes uh, the, the office door, and uh, I just I just tell her, honey, I I need to tell you something. I just need you to listen. I just want you to know I'm I'm sorry for all the times that I've broken your heart. And I know there's been many. And her response was, I would say, arguably the most beautiful moment of my entire life because what she said to me was, "If you never broke my heart, how would I learn to love you more?" It was like in that moment, first off, I'm like, who is this woman? Like, who says that? But then there was kind of an aha moment. It's like almost like God was speaking to me like, and my love for you is even greater than this. Like, like it was the closest thing on earth that I was going to experience to unconditional love. And it was hard, so beautiful and so healing. And it was the, the beginning of a massive shift in my mindset, in my heart, in my soul as a father, as a husband, as a friend, where my, my priorities were suddenly just back in alignment and they've been out for so long. So that would be, that'd be the story that I want to share. Patrick, a, a wonderful and truly beautiful story. It's, it, there's tears of pain even now telling the story, but there's also, there's so much joy. There's so much joy. <laughs> I mean, not many people get a story like that. Justin, is there a particular story that sticks out for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, there we have. I mean, we could talk for hours on end on on how many funny, crazy, you know, um, hard stories that we experienced and, and the ups and downs of it, um, literally and emotionally, and all that. Uh, I'd probably say one of the biggest moments that. Um, that we experienced on this pilgrimage. And we, we talk about it quite often when we, when we speak um, all around, you know, the country and international is that we um, came across uh, there was, there's three mountain ranges that you go over on the pilgrimage, at least the route that we took. So we started in St. John, which is in the Southwest corner of France. And it's about, it's basically just due West straight 500 miles. And so um, on the third mountain range, there was, it's not necessarily a tall mountain range, but it's a very, very, steep ascent. 
And so we had pilgrims tell us that had been on the pilgrimage before or locals tell us that, Hey, you know, it's pushing a 200, my wheelchair is with me and it's like 250 pounds. So with me in it, you know, kind of going up this hill or this mountain, would it be possible? And, you know, a lot of these people said, well, I don't know, you might want to kind of go around it because it's really hard to do on foot. Right. So we had really kind of, we're on the fence about it. And through a series of um, just events of meeting some pilgrimage or some pilgrims that were just from our neck of the woods. So I'd moved from California back up to Idaho before we left and with my family. And so we had, um, while we're on this pilgrimage, we ended up meeting these two guys named Joe and Richard uh, in one of the cities you pass through is called city of Burgos. And there's a cathedral in there. We met them in there and they, uh, they said, Hey man, you guys need some help along this pilgrimage. And so we said, yeah, sure. So you know, we could use help every day, but they said, you know, where can we be the most like impactful for you guys? And so we, we thought about it and said, you know what, um, Osobrero is that third mountain range and, you know, kind of heeding the advice of everybody that told us about it ahead of time, we were kind of on the fence if we were going to try to attempt it. And so we kind of split up with them and we ended up meeting on them, meeting with them. And, uh, later on about a week and a half, two weeks later, and we met at the base of the, of the mountain because, we all decided that we're going to at least attempt it and give it a shot. And so as we meet at the base, you know, we see them and we hadn't seen them in a while and chat for a little bit. And we get up to leave at we're at this cafe and like everybody at this cafe gets up when we leave. And Pat and I are completely perplexed. We're looking at everybody like, who are all these people? And, uh, and Joe turns to us and says, they're here to help you today. And when we got there, there was 12 people waiting for us. It was probably one of the most unforgettable days on on our pilgrimage where we ended up getting, you know, actually ended up being 17 people in total helped get my, get me up the top of that mountain that day because it was tough. I mean, I had to be, it was, it was so steep that I had to be like literally carried up this mountain. It took six people to carry me at any given time. I'm in my wheelchair and there's everyone kind of surrounded me and picked up each part of the wheelchair and just picked up and started going. And so, you know, as people were carrying me, other people are carrying, you know, walking sticks or up scouting the trail to let us know what's ahead of us because there's, there's a lot of rocks and there's ravines and there's, you know, roots and all sorts of craziness. And it's not exactly ideal for a wheelchair. And it, it, it was a beautiful, beautiful day because you just, for me, it was the first time of really experiencing what community is like what what I've had community in the past, you know, I have a, a church family that I belong to and friends and family and all that, but to have complete strangers come around me and help me get up to the top of this mountain, they, they didn't have to, they didn't have to stop. They didn't have to do any of that, but yet they chose to pitch in and do their part. And it was just a, a beautiful example of what we're capable of as, as humans. I mean, regardless of, faith backgrounds, social economic backgrounds, sexual orientation, any of that stuff. It doesn't really matter. Uh, we might have all have different views on all of that. But what happened was everybody set all that aside and just showed me what what community really truly is. Because everyone had their own demons they're dealing with, their own things that they're you know working through on this pilgrimage. And it was truly a beautiful day. Very powerful story, Justin, on community. When people saw you, other people on the trail saw you going up a range, what would they be seeing? What does that look like? 
Well, everyone's familiar with what Brad Pitt looks like, right? So uh, I look nothing like him. <laughs> um, oh my God. So no, I'm just joking. Uh, you know, so uh, so the wheelchair that I took is it was actually it's a very unique wheelchair. It's a it's a three wheeled wheelchair has mountain bike tires on either side of it uh, has a push uh, a handlebar at the back that Patrick would push from has brakes on it, disc brakes and all that. And there's a, um, a wheel that comes out in the front and I'm, you know, sitting in the chair. So just so the listeners have a, a little bit, even more clarity, I, uh, I have a progressive neuromuscular disease and the disease that I have is very, very similar to ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. So it's, I don't have Lou Gehrig's, but it's, it's a very rare disease called multifocal acquired motor axonopathy. I know it is a mouthful and it's hard to remember that, but my disease works is my disease is very, very similar to ALS in the, um, in the progression that my, my autoimmune system attacks my nervous system and then my nervous system shuts down. So I can feel everything from head to toe. I just can't uh, move the muscles that I, you know, I wish I could. So it just gets worse over time. I, uh, I used to be able to, as a kid, I could run, I was running around like, you know, anybody else would be, but um, it was triggered by a car accident I was in when I was just about 16 years old and it's just been getting worse over time. And so I'm at a point now where I live life in a power wheelchair. I have to be fed. I have to be helped in the bathroom, showering, all that stuff, getting my clothes on every single day and, you know, cared for, for pretty much every aspect of my life. So it is a disease that is not exactly the best. Uh, it is more than likely will take my life or, uh, earlier than, you know, it should uh, you should be able to live just because the disease will progress to a point where I won't be able to breathe on my own and those kind of things. So it's not exactly um, the best diagnosis or the, <laughs> the brightest future. But uh, despite all of that, you know, it still doesn't stop me from doing what I want to do. It just looks different. But if somebody was to see us on the trail, they would see me in that off-road chair sitting in there and Patrick behind me pushing away and us chatting, laughing, having a good time and sometimes not chatting and laughing and having a good time. But it, you know, it, when, when people saw us, it was really interesting because, you know, everyone had different reactions. Most people, I'd probably say, and Pat could probably chime in on this if he needs to, but most people were very cool. Just, Hey, you know, who are you and how are you? And, you know, being willing to just talk to me like a normal person, uh, cause I am a normal person. I just, my life just looks well, actually, none of us are normal, uh, whatever that means. I would like to get a definition of what a normal person is. But there's, you know, we would be along the trail and people would just come up and say, hey, can I help or be a part of this? And, you know, can I push for a little bit? And said, yeah, sure. And that would be about it. And, uh, you know, we had a few individuals that didn't quite know what to do with me. But uh, for the most part, everyone was really cool about it. Well, that was that was the journey that led to your movie, your book. And and my sense is that life might have changed a little after that. Um, <laughs> I, I know that you're often speaking to companies, organizations about the link between leadership, culture, spirit, and work. And, and more recently, you've you've put out a new book entitled mm -hmm. Imprints: The Evidence Our Lives Leave Behind. T tell me a little bit about about the change that's that's happened since the movie and the book? You know, we uh, 
when we came back from Spain, you know, I, I was in a in a an administrative role in a healthcare system, and not long after, uh, just with the the demands that came from individuals asking us to come and speak, um, I, I couldn't dedicate the time to speaking and sharing our story as well as to fulfill my role in in my job, and so I I actually left work about six months later. Uh, to, to start speaking full-time with Justin and he was doing graphic design and so he, he took a step back from that it was getting more and more difficult for him to to do the design work because of the limited use of his hands and so we had this new chapter where it's like man we we, we talked about working together for years but I mean my background was in healthcare his is graphic design not the most uh, compatible <laughs> professions for a joint venture so uh, you know <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what kind of business model that would be <laughs> so God threw something entirely unique into our into our laps and so we've been given all these opportunities to speak we just started doing it and out of that you know we, we you know kind of honed our craft and the book comes out of that and as we're we're speaking at different uh, venues throughout, throughout the world we meet people from all over the place and we start hearing I mean one we start recognizing a lot of themes that hope theme people are hungry for hope they're hungry for purpose they're hungry for something that matters in their life but we also would hear stories about people kind of just feeling like what they do doesn't matter in comparison to the big movers and shakers of the world, right? You know, you've got these leaders of big nonprofits or someone who, like, like say, Charity Water, for example, a wonderful organization. Not everybody can go and dig freshwater wells in Africa. And there's this flawed thinking that I, we you know, started to see is pretty rampant in the people we, we met that, okay, I believe in these great things, these great causes, but what I do doesn't, doesn't really make that much of a difference. But then when we have conversations with the big movers and shakers and ask them why they do what they do, and they would point back to moments as a child or in their youth where someone modeled grace, mercy, love, and compassion in the everyday. And that's what put them on the path that they're on. And so that was the 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 idea behind imprints. Like, wait, well, what about that? Let's let's start digging into those stories. The stories that happen in the everyday moments with a grocery store clerk or a veteran on the street or you know a, someone that you just meet in it by random happenstance and dig into some of those dynamics at play where someone's world is turned upside down in the best of ways because someone chose to invest in their life in something as simple as a single moment. And that's imprints. The imprints, the evidence our lives leave behind is this idea that we are all guides. We're taking someone somewhere every moment of every day. We just don't choose to embrace that responsibility as we should. But when we start to look at every human interaction as a potential for something sacred and holy, man, all of a sudden we start to press in and and can see these moments where God is gifting us just a, a a beautiful opportunity to influence someone's life in a positive way. And in turn, we start to be more appreciative of those moments when someone is doing the same thing for us. And as you say, they're, they're small moments, moments of, mm-hmm. of joy, of love, of kindness, of mercy, of compassion, of happiness. They may not fit some people's understanding of a big moment. They seem right. kind of small, but in fact, they do tend to be a big moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we we never know what what is going on in the in the heart and soul of the person on the receiving end of those acts, and so that's the whole point of the book is it's seventeen different stories from the perspective of individuals who have been profoundly impacted by someone else's decision to invest in them, and 
for me, it's an encouragement where like, man, uh, okay, I, I don't always get to see the, how the story, you know, the, 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 the end of the story, but to be a part of anything that elevates another human being is always worthwhile, whether you know the outcome or not. Appreciation to our guests for joining us in conversation. Appreciation as always to our listeners as well. A reminder that we have posted more educational links on our podcast website next to this episode. Thanks everyone.